Hey, before we get started, I want to remind you that Truce is listener-supported. If you want to be a part of this one-of-a-kind show that asks big questions in an approachable way, become a patron. For just $5 a month, you can help me tell big stories like this upcoming season on the history of fundamentalism. And you'll get access to bonus materials. That's all at patreon.com slash trucepodcast. That's patreon.com slash trucepodcast. Hey everybody, this is Chris from the Truce Podcast. We'll get into a discussion of the birds and the bees in this episode. Nothing gross, but you've got about 30 seconds to pause the show if this is not the best time. We're in the process of putting together an ad campaign that will run on Facebook this summer, and we're researching some great episodes. But because I'm so busy, in lieu of a regular episode this week, we've got this podcast extra about something I'd never heard of before doing the interview, and it dovetails nicely with our story about Abby Johnson. This story was recorded in the press room at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, which is why there is a little bit of background noise. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. So my name is Nate Burt. Uh, you can reach me by email, nathanjburt at gmail.com. Nate or is by skinny cell. and wears glasses. He looks a full 10 years younger than he is. I am a journalist by trade, but uh, I also am a father. So my wife and I have four children. We have three biological children and an adopted daughter. And she was adopted through embryo adoption, which many people aren't aware of. Which is the subject of this podcast extra, embryo adoption. Nate is going to explain what that is. I am only speaking from what I know from listening to other people. I, my wife and I have never faced infertility, but my understanding is that many couples want a baby so badly, but for some reason, either the mother or the father or both have something in their DNA that's not allowing them to create, um, to bring a baby to term in the natural way. So the next move is usually in vitro fertilization taking sperm from a man and mixing it in a lab with mature eggs from a woman. If the sperm and the egg come together to form an embryo, then that embryo is placed inside of a woman and carried to term like a normal pregnancy. If maybe you're a couple who can't have a baby naturally. And so they pursue IVF in vitro fertilization. Many times they go through multiple cycles, and that creates many more embryos than would be used by any family. They've removed several eggs from a woman and put them in with a lot of sperm. Sometimes more than one egg gets fertilized. Many pro-life people argue that life begins at conception. When egg and sperm form an embryo. 
That creates a bit of a moral conundrum with in vitro fertilization. What happens to all of those other fertilized eggs that don't get placed into a woman's uterus? And so as a result, we have many couples that come to the end of their family building process, have these remaining embryos, and then there are so many ethical, spiritual, moral implications of what do we do with these embryos that oftentimes the best, easiest thing to do, and it's still expensive, is to place those embryos in frozen storage, pay $60, $70 a month in perpetuity. What do you do with all those frozen embryos? Not everyone can pay money every month to keep them frozen. And not every family can sustain having more and more kids. Is it okay to thaw the embryos and discard them? Do you delay the inevitable by keeping them frozen? Or is there a better option? That's why Nate wrote his book, Frozen but not forgotten. And so there are more than a million frozen embryos in storage, and so the question that my wife brought to me was, why don't we pursue embryo adoption to build our family? And as a dad, I think there's something in a lot of men, even Christian men, that really sort of it's grading against the notion that our children need to be our own biological, our own genetics. And so when we recognize that we are all adopted by God, it really reframes how, how I viewed adoption and, and how I think more dads can probably think about it as well. Nate and his wife adopted three embryos. The first two didn't make it. Apparently, thawing them does not always work out. However, one of them did survive and was transferred to my wife Julie's uterus, and nine months later, we, she gave birth to our daughter Phoebe, and she just celebrated her first birthday last week. So. And now they have their daughter Phoebe. Because of this special kind of adoption. What should be done with all of those frozen embryos? Send us a comment on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also email a voice memo to us at trucepodcast at yahoo.com. And we may even use it on the show. You can find more about Nate and his book at frozenbutnotforgotten.com. We'll have links to him on our website at trucepodcast.com, where you can also find notes, pictures, and links to donate to this podcast. God willing, we'll be back next week with a full episode of Truce. Thanks for listening.